everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we have a really... Sp- uh, what? No, 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 that's... Is that today? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, guys. Oh, no, it's the purge. Oh, man, everybody, I have been waiting for this moment for the last four years. Today is a very special episode where we are discussing all of the Purge movies. That's right, you guessed it. Uh, Your, I was going to have a cool adjective to rhyme with host, but your, your humble host has gone and watched all of the Purge movies. That's right. He did so in preparation for the election, which is going on right now. And uh, while it didn't end up turning into an election night, uh, last night I did watch Purge election year. And I'm also hoping that this doesn't turn into an election year. It's looking more like an election week, which uh, honestly is how it's always been. So as we dive into this, I'm going to be giving some uh, some detailed thoughts on all four of the Purge movies, uh, my love for these movies. And uh, I know typically we do not ta- discuss politics on this uh, this show, but I feel like one once every four years is probably a good amount of time to discuss politics. So we are. We're going to dive into that right now. Um, so for many of you, uh, you are watching the election results from whatever site you're watching them on, showing uh, who's who winning in each state. And uh, while my thoughts are not around the candidates, though I could spend quite a bit of time talking about them, no, no, my thoughts are around the system, which is all about, uh, it's not all about the purge, but it's kind of the through line throughout the purge. And it's something that I think has uh, come to the forefront so much more each and every election is the system, not so much the candidates. You you can see very easily over at least – I've been voting for the last uh, – at least the last two elections I know of for sure. I'm trying to remember if I voted in 2012. Uh, but I was in high school in 20, uh, 2008, so I wasn't able to vote. But uh, even in all of those elections – there was just this overwhelming idea that neither party was good, right? That that both persons running on each platform were terrible. Everyone was always talking about the lesser of two evils. And that was honestly something that I was pushing quite a bit because uh, I am an independent voter and I don't subscribe to one party over the other. I, again, look at the overall system and I like looking at the policies and because of that, I, I again, I try to focus on those pieces of things. So hopefully this doesn't come off as uh, too political one way or the other. Again, the big focus I want to talk about is on the system. So this year, more so than any year before, everyone is talking about mail-in ballots and they're talking about not having results on election night. And what is hilarious to me is even this year they were saying that's never been the case in the past. That's never been the case. There's never been a winner on election night. Most of these states take days, sometimes weeks, to tally up all of their votes. Not only that, but once all the votes are tallied, then they go to the Electoral College and each state nominates their people to represent who won the popular vote in their state. And again, 
that's that's the general idea of it. There's certain states that don't even kind of go by that, as you see with, I think it's uh, Nebraska and Maine. They give specific electoral votes to different candidates. So two different candidates could get electoral votes in the same state. Uh, again, all problems with the system. And so you see that coming to a head so much so in this year because so much focus has been put on the election this year because of the pandemic. Because of that pandemic, so many people are mailing in ballots. They voted early. They did not want to be around the giant crowds of people. And who can blame them? I wouldn't want to do that. I mailed, well, I didn't mail my ballot in, but in Colorado, everyone gets a mail-in ballot and we just fill it out and I dropped them off at the ballot box. It was easy as pie. And uh, there are other states, though, that don't do that. There are uh, so many states that are so restrictive in the things that they do. And you've see, all of you have seen it. It doesn't take a, uh, a political wizard to go on any uh, website, any news website, and see all of the things that Republicans have been trying to do to make voting harder. And this isn't some surprising new thing that has taken place this election. This has been going on since the very beginning. And so with that, I would say as further recommended listening and watching and reading from this episode is to go on Netflix. There is a three-episode show called Voting Explained. It's I don't know if it's called Voting Explained, but it's one of the explained shows. And it's three episodes. They're 20 minutes each. One of them is around gerrymandering. One of them is around whose vote counts. And one of them is around um, who's allowed to vote. Uh, and it, again, it goes into the history of ever since the founding fathers of all of the ways that the government and the people in power have tried to prevent certain people from voting. And that's still happening today, though uh, with the results we're seeing and the confidence I'm getting from, I've been watching ABC News, and uh, they've been doing a good job, but not a great job. And I don't think any uh, news outlet right now is doing a great job. And I'm going to tell you why, because a couple weeks ago, and probably throughout this whole election cycle, so many people were calling on the uh, the media to not call this election, to not politicize this election, and saying those same things because clearly every single year people get their popcorn, they get ready to go on election night, and they want to see their person win on election night. And regardless, most people want to see a result on election night. Again, that doesn't happen in the real world. So what does the media do? They have to project. So you start seeing things like what we saw last night, and these things blow my mind. You've got instances where, um, just for example, uh, multiple states calling the winner of their election with 0% votes counted. States like Washington, California, uh, Colorado, uh, a lot of basically the, the more hard red states and the hard blue states, they call their election without even counting votes. Or the eight, uh, let me say this, the Associated Press calls those elections without theirs. And then all of the media feeds off of that and they start changing their election maps. That doesn't make sense to me. When you've spent an entire election cycle telling people that their vote matters, why are you calling an election without counting their votes? And yet here they are doing it. Well, oh, magically now we have like six states left that are the battleground states. 
and they aren't being called, again, to the credit of uh, places like ABC News. They are trying to not call those things. But you can't have an election night where none of the states are called as winners. That makes for a very boring news cycle, and the media loves their excitement. So uh, I can blame them. I was going to say you don't, can't really blame them, but no, I do blame them. They're, they're part of the problem. But one of the biggest things that I think frustrated me the most and what I was watching closely the most was the Senate race in South Carolina. Uh, the only reason for that is because over these last few years, uh, there have been a couple of people in power that I have seen as being just gross overreaches of their power. And unfortunately, those people ended up on the Republican side. Again, I try watching everything with an unbiased lens, but these were so blatant. And those people were, and I'm sure you could guess, Mitch McConnell, uh, for a little bit, Jeff Sessions, and um, Lindsey Graham. And uh, again, Kentucky called their race almost immediately that um, Mitch McConnell was going to win. So there we have it. Uh, Jeff Sessions got kicked out at some point, I don't remember, so he's not even in the election. But the Lindsey Graham election was really interesting because his opponent, Jamie Harrison, is running on this idea that we can beat the establishment, that we we can provide a different voice to Congress, a voice that doesn't lie because Lindsey Graham uh, started out not liking Trump, dissing Trump, and now he's like Trump's puppet. And uh, a, a lot of politicians have fallen into that as well. Uh, and so just based on the amount of money that he raised, the amount of outreach that he had, and I'll, I'll say it myself, and, and I, I was weary of it, but just because you raise more money than your opponent does not mean you have a chance to win. We see that sort of thing happening uh, with a lot of the comeback uh, congresswomen like Ilan Omar and uh, AOC they did not outspend their Republican counterparts. They were they were outspent by almost triple the amount, and, and the Republicans still lost. That just goes to show. Uh, but again, there was just some thump, something about that race where I thought, okay, maybe this is something. And again, it was about 67%, maybe even less, of the votes had been counted in South Carolina, and he conceded the race. And he, you know, same thing. I think he contacted Lindsey Graham, said thank you so much. And the, the, the same thing happened in my own state of Colorado with Cory Gardner calling the race, uh, conceding to John Hicken, Higginlooper. Same thing. Not all the votes had been counted. And again, I'm not trying to push anyone one way or the other uh, in regards to who should win. I'm talking about that system that is in place if you, especially as a Democrat, because you are looking for a lot of grassroots, a lot of people who have been disenfranchised over the years, people whose votes have been suppressed, especially in the South, uh, why would you do that to the people that you just spent so much time trying to court? So many people that you said it would mean so much to me for you to vote. Your vote matters and your vote could turn the tide for me. And yet here he is calling the election super early. If I was in his state and I had voted for him, I'd be really mad at him. I'd be really disappointed because imagine if your vote wasn't one of the votes that had been counted yet. He essentially is saying your vote doesn't matter. I'm already going to I'm already giving up. Your half of the almost half of the country or half of the state's votes haven't been counted. I'm calling it. I, I don't want to bother with it. 
And you see that at that senatorial level. But again, at the presidential level right now, uh, Biden had a really great speech that he gave last night where he said, we need to wait and see. We need to be patient. We need to wait for all of these votes to be counted. And again, why was nobody saying this for the last 40 years or however long that this has been happening? Like, we need to understand that these things take time. And part of that, and it was something uh, something I was discussing with my family last night, was uh, why is it, why is this even a thing in the first place, right? Why is this a problem? Why can't we just know the results? And honestly, I don't have a good answer for that. I, the easiest answer is because it is so hard to vote in this country. And I'll, I'll, I'll be even more specific. It is very hard to vote in certain states. There are states like Colorado where everybody gets a mail-in ballot You ha- almost a month in advance. You can fill it out. You can return it to so many different ballot boxes. No problem. Or you can go vote in person. You can do that early or you can do that on the day of. And then you have other states where you can't do any of that. States like Pennsylvania where they're not allowed to count the ballots until election day, the mail-in ballots. Why is that? Why can't they count them before election day? Why They should be counting them a week before. These ballots that are early voted in, they should be counted the minute that they arrive. I don't know why. Maybe there's something above my pay grade that I'm not understanding about this. But to me, that is another form of, uh, of control and of possible voter suppression. It, I don't know what the word is for it. But if I was president... I would make at the federal level the exact same voting uh, rules for every single state. I would say it's not up to the states. It's up to federal, uh, the federal government. Unless, of course, it is an election where it is just a state election, maybe just for state representatives, then fine. You know what? Have at it. But if I was, if I was in power, I would make it as easy as possible for every single person to vote. They'd all have the option to vote by mail or in person. You could vote wherever you want. And we would know the results of the election on election night because those votes would have already been counted by then. But again, that's just me. I'm just one guy running a podcast. I don't know much. But that is what frustrates me with these elections is everyone gets so into the I need to know this right now where it takes patience. And even beyond that, all of these projections are exactly that. They're just projections. Even when they're saying that there's 86% of the estimated votes reported, they don't know that. This Only the state knows that. And they're not going to know a, a true answer to that for at least a little while. So that's kind of what gets me frustrated about the system and why I wanted to watch these Purge movies to begin with is because this is just another amazing example of what could happen to a country that is so concerned about certain things. And so with that, we are going to dive into the corrupt and broken system that is within the Purge movies. So the way that I re and I've seen all of these movies. This was me watching them all again for a second time. I was actually lucky enough to go see the purge, the first purge, uh, in theaters, and uh, and so and and you know what? I was thinking too. You know, this is my podcast. I can do whatever I want. Uh, this is a perfect place for me to try my my stand up routines. And when I say stand up routines, I mean the little jokes that uh, I will never actually say in public. But uh, the other night I was talking with my buddy Todd and I was asking him, I said, hey, do you want to uh, do you want to watch the, a pur- the Purge movie with me? And he was like, well, which one? And I was like, uh, the, f- the first one. And he's like, the first Purge. I was like, no, no, no. I watched the first Purge last night. This one is the, is the first Purge movie. 
and he's he's like okay well so you're saying it, it's the first purge and i'm like no no it's the and uh it's the first one like the very first movie and he's like well this doesn't it doesn't make sense to me that seems silly and i said um i said no i said the election's coming up i'm trying to watch all of them and uh i said there's you know there's four movies and uh the night before i watched the first purge and so my next one is going to be the purge and then i watched purge anarchy and then i watched the election year on election night and so uh, i'm trying to tell him i'm like i'm going to watch the purge and he says which one and i said the first one and he says the first purge and i'm like no not the first purge the purge and he's like the first one and i said yes the first one he says so the first purge and I'm like, no, not the first Purge. And he says, okay, well, which Purge movie? I said, the one that came out in 2018, that's the first Purge. I'm talking about the Ethan Hawke 2013 Purge. And he says, oh, that's right. Okay, the first Purge. And I said, exactly. He says, so which, he said, which one are we watching tonight? And I was like, the original first ever Purge movie. And he says, right, the 2018 first Purge. And I said, no. Uh, the first Purge movie, basically, this is a is a who's on first type of bit that uh, I'm sure is not going to hit well with any of our fans, so I apologize in advance, but it really is difficult to explain which Purge movie you should watch first, and for me, I think watching the first Purge is the way to go. The 2018 movie titled The First Purge. From there, then watch the 2013 film The Purge. I think that gives a ton more context to the movie because uh, what I think the coolest thing is about these films is they're all slightly different. They all touch on a different area of of America in a sense to show the wide scope of what something like the purge would do to a society. And so you have the purge, the original, the fir- the first purge, is, the first purge movie is uh w- w- one with Ethan Hawke and that one focuses on a upper yeah I just say rich rich white people who are the guy makes his living on selling security systems specifically for the purge and it's a very uh it's an exciting movie as it as it first came out because i think this is an idea that would and and sadly would capture the minds of so many people honestly if i'm checking the election results right now it would at least capture the minds of 67 million 165,957 million people uh, who uh, voted for one political candidate uh, in order to uh, kind of make a, an interesting change. And we, we learn about so many things in this first movie. So you've got this this idea that this new political party has shown up and called the New Founding Fathers of America. They are kind of positioned to be ultra-conservative and... Uh, their logo, interestingly enough, I think it's got a gun. It's like a bird holding a gun, and it's holding uh, like a baton or something like that. And regardless, I, they don't dive into the politics of the new founding fathers uh, so much so as to their big plan. And so, what happened was in the past, which is shown in the first purge, not the first purge movie, the first purge, uh, the, the 2018, and they uh, they came up with this idea that one in order to lower crime one night a year for 12 hours all crime is legal including murder and when you look at it at first blush you'd think that's kind of is an interesting idea 
I'm a, I'm a big proponent of test and learn. Uh, that just comes with the job that I have and, and, and always wanting to test things first before see if they work. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. Whatever the case may be. It would be interesting to see. But as you watch further, you realize that, that is not the real reason why they were wanting to do this. And that is why the system is broken. And so every year for 12 hours, anyone can do whatever they want. And uh, again, that's why I would re really recommend watching the first Purge, the 2018 movie, first. Because you're going to get, especially if you've seen all these already, and maybe it's been a little while and you're thinking, well, what the heck's going on here? Uh, I would watch that one first because you get all of the background around it. You really f find out the why behind it. And interestingly enough, all of these movies, uh, James DeMonico is the one who directed them. He did not direct this movie, but he still wrote it. Uh, and also really cool is all of these movies are through Blumhouse. Uh, there's some other production companies as well, like Platinum Dunes on it, but Blumhouse helps make these movies. Most of them are produced by Jason Blum and by Michael Bay, which is really interesting. I'm not the biggest Michael Bay fan, but I love having a big name on my, uh, my producer list. And so uh, in this first Purge movie, we kind of get the why behind it. It's, it's the first purge. And so they're saying like, okay, you know, you they, they pay people. They even pay people. They say they test it out. It's an experiment on Staten Island, just Staten Island. And so they're interviewing people there. The, the government is, and they're saying like, are you thinking about purging? And they're like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And they say, well, we will give you $5,000 to stay on Staten Island for the night in order to just be there, right? In order to die, essentially. Um, but we will give you tracking devices and contacts to put in your eyes uh, so that we can see what you're doing to, to monitor for data. Again, super logical, makes total sense. And, uh, but the more, the, and they, they make it so it says, the more you participate in the purge, uh, the more money you stand to make. And so this is part of that broken system because you started off in Staten Island and the <laughs> the demographic in this film is a uh, a colored community in Staten Island. They're in uh, I guess you I don't know what you call it planned housing. I don't know. It's it's really huge buildings with a ton of people living in the apartments. Clearly one of those places where. Uh, a lot of those people could be manipulated by money. They need the money. They're not doing so well. Uh, and they do show that. There are multiple kind of families and stories that you follow through. And it's really sad to see because, again, it's the government manipulating these people for their own ends. And so you got a bunch of different people who are saying, yeah, 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 I want to participate. I will participate. And uh, we get a couple cool uh, kind of characters. So you got one guy who's like the drug kingpin on Staten Island, uh, who he's actually got a heart of gold. And um, he's got his own problems when he's dealing with rival gangs. And then his ex-girlfriend is anti-purge. She has been protesting against it. Again, every single one of these movies had call-outs to things that have been going on right now, which is really cool because all of these movies came out before then, and obviously these things have been happening for a while. A lot of us haven't noticed them until recently, but it just goes to show how uh, much of the zeitgeist was captured in making these films to show that it, it is a sort of uh, primal desire for people to purge and to release their, as they say it, to release their hatred. 
And again, on the face of it, it's like, oh, okay. But when you look at it deeper, it's like, that is a really, really bad idea. And we find out why in the first purge. Uh, the uh, the 2018, the first purge, uh, the movie that is called the title The First Purge. I'm going to be doing this bit the whole time. So uh, we find out as the government is watching, and, and huge shout out to uh, Marissa Tomei is in this film. Her and another dude named Arlo Sabian, um, she's a sociologist. He's the chief of staff for the NFFA, for the, the Founding Fathers. And... Uh, the biggest piece that comes out of this is they, so the purge starts and nothing's really going on and, and people are starting to put their contacts on and we start seeing that most people here aren't trying to kill people. And and again, you can tell when you're looking at the creed or, or what is announced. So uh, it, it takes place on March 21st of uh and this movie is is set in 2014 so on march 21st at 7 p.m everyone's tvs get this announcement that says uh you know this is the first purge and um i'm trying to see if it if i can get like a little i didn't grab it but i I don't want to read what the whole thing says but essentially it says all crime comma including murder uh is legal it says uh weapons up to like level class four are allowed to be used and then any person with a level 10 clearance or higher is off limits so essentially high up government officials like the president they are not allowed to be killed harmed take place of the per whatever they are not allowed to be a part of it so you can already tell that it is designed for only a specific uh group of people right and again we're just we're just in staten island at this point and so um we see as the purge starts that things aren't really going the way that they wanted and there's this really creepy dude named skeletor who is the first person who gets the first ever purge murder and what they start seeing though besides that is that most people are having parties purge parties in the streets and they're just dancing and having fun and honestly i feel like that's what a lot of us would do if we had a night where there were no laws i mean obviously you know the covid still right but i feel like having a giant block party would be a blast you could you could carry your alcohol outside and not have to worry about getting in trouble shoot bring a gun outside and start shooting it in the air uh no one could you know whatever that is uh, a legal discharge of a firearm or something like that hey i don't know all i'm saying is it made sense these people are just trying to have fun. There's a couple people I think that were looting. There's a guy who, the guy who Skeletor kills was trying to break into an ATM. And he's like, ha ha, every day I'm, you know, I have to pay you and today you're paying me. And it's like, hey, you know, we're, we're all just trying to get a little piece of, of uh, the pie. Not in terms of the murder pie, I'm talking about the money pie. And uh, so within this, um, Arlo is like, this isn't going to fly. And she, uh, Marissa Tomei, um, she's like, are you what? And they're like, no, 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 no. He says, um, he, he, and, and again, all behind the scenes, he's saying, this is not what we were planning. This is not the results that the NFFA wanted. We need to do something about it. And so all of a sudden, there's a sudden increase in murder, uh, along with more people wearing masks. And not the type of masks we've been told to wear, but Halloween masks. And that's kind of, again, part of a little bit of backstory from the other Purge movies of why people wear masks. It's because they hired a bunch of mercenaries 
and uh, sent them in to kill people to make sure that it looks successful, that the experiment worked. And um, the, then we finally find out the real reason why uh, and and um, realizes that the national, the founding fathers only want to eradicate the poor so that the government does not have to pay for social programs. So yes, as we see going forward, that crime is at its lowest. Um, part of the reason why the country is saving so much money is because they're not spending it on the poor programs like, and again, perfect for today, right? Medicare for all, uh, you know, any, anything that's going to benefit a ton of people, the small amount of people in power don't want to do that. It's going to cost too much money. Well, you could divert money from any CEO you want. You could tax the rich more. There's so many other ways that you could do it besides murdering poor people. Not a good tactic. And so that's the essential, um, the essential premise of this first film. And at the end of it, we find out that, of course, The Purge was a success and a nationwide purge may begin as soon as the following year. And so um, it's a good movie. I would say of all of the movies, um, it's actually funny. I think out of all of the movies, the, the the Purge, the first Purge movie with Ethan Hawke in 2013 is actually my least favorite of them all. Um, I really like that one. I, I, I would put that one above the original Purge. Um, it's good. I really like it. And, and the, all the actors are great. It really shows at what happens in this sort of thing. And so from there, we fast forward. And in some ways, we, we rewind back to 2013 when the first Purge, uh, the, the first Purge movie from 2013 came out, directed by James DeMonico, uh, starring Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey. And uh, this, again, I... I love all of the Purge movies, so I'm not saying that this is like it. I'm saying it's my least favorite of all of them, but that is just because the other Purge movies did such a good job at building and deepening the lore. I'm I'm all about the lore, and so in the second one, so first movie, ugh, the the 2018 the first Purge focuses on Staten Island, and it focuses on a a kind of poor, uh, financially deprived community. And how the government is manipulating them. The 2013 The Purge takes place later, um, takes place in 2022. And um, so, what is that, seven years later? Uh, eight years later. And it surrounds Ethan Hawke and Leah Head Lena Hetty, who are again a rich white family in suburbia. Who he makes his uh, he makes his money by selling security systems for the purge, so rich people can have a full protective security around their house. Not people, but um, uh, metal doors that that come down. Really cool idea. Uh, but again, just the classic. And they talk about it in this movie and a couple. Of the others that we're seeing we're seeing uh, monetary boosts uh, for both the security market and the insurance market that insurance companies are now making a ton of money off of the purge which makes sense right you know when purge happens they can charge more for purge coverage and uh, pay out when people uh, you know loot and vandalize and so uh, this movie is interesting though because it's it's a lot of uh a lot of conversations and philosophies around the other side of the aisle. And so that um, 
that is probably why uh, I would put it at the bottom of my list. And again, not that I don't like it. It's just that the other side is so much more interesting. I like seeing the underdog win. Uh, I like seeing good defeat evil, and I'm not saying that Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey are bad, but they are part of the problem, and he is, again, making money off of all of his neighbors, and there's a lot of comments about that in the film from neighbors, like, wow, you had a really good year, you clearly made a lot of money off of all of us buying security systems. And so the purge happens, and they all lock up for the night and relax at home, and the pro- there's a couple problems that take place, and some of them we don't really get an answer to. Um, they have a, a daughter and a son, young. One senior, I think is like in high school, the other one's in middle school. And the daughter has a boyfriend who sneaks over and gets inside the house before the purge, which you know already, you're like, this isn't going to be good. And so eventually he ends up trying to assassinate Ethan Hawke. And Ethan Hawke kills him, but we never find out what his motivations were. And I wonder if it's because maybe he was a son of a parent or something like that who was wronged by Ethan Hawke. And again, wronged being that his parents had to pay an exorbitant amount of money to have a security system at their house. Uh, But then things really heat up when the son hears a man crying out in the street saying, help me, help me, help me. And he lets that man in. And that man is i believe his name is um i'm gonna find it in here uh other characters he's what is he oh edwin hodge as bloody stranger is that who it is uh he was in the other purge movies too yeah 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 okay so his name is edwin edwin hodge is the actor but he plays and i'm gonna pull up purge uh, dante bishop thank you okay his name is dante bishop and he in this movie is a victim And so they take him in. They're like, what did you do? And again, when you're watching this movie, you're like, oh, like for me at least, I was like, man, if you guys had just kept your doors closed, kept your kids in the room, put them to bed, had them watch a movie, we wouldn't be having any of these problems. But that thought, as I've realized watching this, comes from a place of privilege that, oh yeah, it would be really easy to ignore someone running around out on the street, which is what Ethan Hawke has to deal with in this film, that, you know what, people, the, the value of life is more important, and even if that puts your family in danger. And so they let him in, and eventually the classic purgers come to the door. Again, a bunch of affluent white people who explain that they were having a ritual or some garbage nonsense around, it's my right to purge, I I feel the need for purging speed. And, uh, you know, very, very eloquently spoken, he says, hey, look, we're both highly educated individuals, and this person that you're harboring is trash. And again, clearly setting up that class system and showing how the purge benefits those in power and how the purge, how the system benefits uh, rich people and poor people are the ones that end up taking the brunt of the death and destruction. And so... Uh, initially Ethan Hawke's trying to get this guy out of his house, but he can't find him because the purge people cut the lights in the house. They cut the power. And if I was Ethan, man, I would have, he, he's like, Hey, he calls him to the door and he's like, why have you not brought our prey to me yet? And he's like, I'm working on it. And I would have been like, dude, you cut the power to my house. Give me the power back and I will, uh, I'll try and find him. I'll do my best. Uh, but so eventually, and again, that's part of the story. Eventually he realizes through a bunch of crazy stuff where he is almost about to kill this guy, him and his wife, uh, realizes what the hell am I doing? Why, like what kind of example am I setting for my kids? And there's a really cool bit where after that 
he's like trying to comfort his daughter and he's like, it's going to be okay. And she says, it is never going to be okay again. And I was like, hey, you know, kudos to her for realizing what's about to happen. And so eventually the purgers get in the house and um, there's a great battle that takes place. Ethan, They take out a bunch of them, but in the process, Ethan Hawke's character dies and um, the other three don't. But what's interesting is their neighbors show up at the end and actually save them. They shoot a bunch of these purgers and it's it's all well and good. But then they tie the family up and they're like, what are you, what are you doing? And they said, again, you took so much money from us and we have been hating you for so long. I think it's time for us to purge. And it's, again, what a horrible, horrible thing to do. And so uh, out of nowhere, Dante shows up from the house and uh, shoots one of them. They get all the others and, and Lena's like, no, no more killing tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, if you don't kill them, Every encounter that you have with them for the next year until they try and kill you again uh, is going to be super awkward when you're, you know, meeting with them at the bake sale or down at the at the natural grocers down the town. Like you're going to have an awkward conversation where you say, hey, do you remember that night where you tied me up with tape and threatened um, actually almost killed my children in front of my eyes while I begged you not to really weird. So, hey, whatever. But um, that's the end of that purge. And again, we, the state, the stations broadcast at the end that it was the most successful purge to date and, uh, that the stock market is booming due to massive sales and weapons and security systems. And, uh, but then, uh, the last, the last voice on it is about a guy losing his faith in America because his son died during the purge. And so we say, okay, the cracks are starting to show. And from there, we move into the Purge Anarchy, which is my underdog, um, I think, favorite of all of the Purge movies. And the reason why is now we get to see how the Purge affects everybody. And now we've, we've had a taste of a little bit of Staten Island. We've had a taste of the rich white neighborhood. Now we're diving into um, kind of a more urban setting in the downtown where most people go to Purge. And I really like this movie. They do a really good job of weaving in so many different stories. And I'll try to touch on them. But again, this is, to me, this is like a, uh, I wouldn't call it filler. I would say this is the perfect lore episode. You've got a ton of awesome uh, surprise guests in this movie as well. You got Dante Bishop uh, is in this one and he's now working for, um, what's his name? I think it's Papa or is it Jack Conley? Is that who it is? American, uh, Jack Conley. No, there's a guy who is the, well, Frank Grillo is in this film as Leo Barnes and Frank Grillo, as many of you might know, is Crossbones, uh, from, uh, Captain America, uh, Civil War and also from uh, Winter Soldier. But then also the dad, Montrose, from Lovecraft Country is in this as a essentially the, um, the anti-purge leader. Really cool. Reminds me a lot of like a, a Malcolm X type character. And I know he was having fun doing it because... Uh, he's playing a character kind of like his character in Lovecraft Country, so I'm sure he was really passionate about playing that as his role. I just don't remember what his character's name is, and I also don't remember what his name is for... Um, I'm just trying to see who it is in terms of like uh, Lovecraft Country, maybe. But again, really cool to see. So we, we, we get vignettes 
of all of these different people. So there's a there's a white couple whose car breaks down. There is the uh, there's a family who uh, has a old grandfather who's actually giving himself up to be purged by rich white people so that they will pay his family a hundred thousand dollars. And those those two people are a part of the main story. The it's a mother and daughter. And same thing, they're they're living in downtown. They're just trying to survive. And then there is, um, man, there's a couple of other people too. But essentially, all of their stories line up and and fall into each other and surround Frank Grillo's character. And so he's this super badass fighter who is just an ace in the hole. And we don't really know what it is that he's doing. But by the end of the movie, we realize that he. Uh, is try- he was planning to drive out to the person's house who killed his son and he didn't and we learned too that he didn't kill his son in the purge this guy was drinking and driving and kill his son and uh really really powerful stuff and there's this other thing though with um uh, this guy named Big Daddy I'm seeing on here. Essentially we get a much more in-depth look at how far the government has gone They've got death squads now uh, to increase the body count um, because they're realizing that the purge is eliminating too few of the lower class, which was their plan. And uh, again, just trying to kill more people, kill more poor people, and just insane. And so by the end of the movie, um, Big Daddy gets killed by Frank Grillo. And he, we find, well, no, actually, Big Daddy gets killed by the guy that killed Frank Grillo's son. We find out that Frank actually chose to forgive him. And then the purge, the purge siren goes off right as the death squad's about to kill him and they all stop. And, um, just crazy. And like I said, it's a lot harder to explain this one because there's so many different stories going back and forth. But I love how they all weave together. I love how we find out a lot more about how, again, that first Purge movie, we we see how the Purge will affect poor people. But now in Purge Anarchy, we see truly how it is affecting people. And what I realized in the second viewing is that that anarchy, the Purge Anarchy, is just so perfect as a name for this movie because literally every five minutes something crazy happens because someone else is purging and it just seems like all of these different purge incidences around the city all end up tying to each other and it's like you've got to be kidding like at one point they get kidnapped not by the death squad they get kidnapped by this group of people who are um a bunch of rich white people who pay money and bid to hunt people in this like warehouse. So almost like you were playing indoor laser tag, except you're actually killing people. And so again, just all these crazy things that have come out of the purge as the years go on. And this is during, so this one's during 2023. So this is, this is a year after the original movie and uh and so from there that takes us into the final film which is in 2040 so we are zooming ahead uh what would that be 2040 would be uh 17 years to uh 2040 uh following a much different landscape i would say at this point just because of of the the political landscape that kind of is displayed during this particular purge we see kind of a interesting intro with someone named Charlene Roan, who goes by Charlie Roan. 
of uh, almost, I think it's her entire family gets killed during the purge in 2022. So interestingly enough, the same purge uh, that Ethan Hawke was involved in and died in. And um, she survived. She's the lone survivor. And so 18 years later, she's a U.S. senator campaigning for presidency, running on the idea that she is going to end the purge. And um, Leo Barnes, Frank Grillo's character, is now the head of security for her and obviously trying to make sure she's safe. But at the same time, we see that – and it's, a, it's funny enough, it's a minister who is running against her from the New Founding Fathers. And he has a meeting with the main heads of, of the cabal and says, uh, like, we need to kill her. And so – Essentially, we need to kill her. And so at the same time, again, we're now we're now uh, 17 years past the last movie. We're learning even more purge lore. People are coming into America to purge, calling it murder terrorism. Uh, or I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, it basically is that, but it's murder tourism, uh, that people are flying here on purge night in order to kill people and be allowed to do so. And so again, just absolutely going out off the wall. And so at that point, it takes us to the ground. We're back in downtown, a different downtown now, I think. Uh, and we follow a couple of, again, uh, down-to-earth people. One of them is Joe, who's a store owner. And uh, he works with Marcos. It's, a, I guess, a co-owner, a buddy of his. And they've got another lady, I think, Lainey and her partner, Dawn, who patrol the city in a kind of makeshift ambulance providing medical care. And so really cool, really cool. Um, but then we find out that as Purge Night is about to start, he gets a phone call, Joe, that his Purge insurance has just skyrocketed a couple of thousand dollars. If he doesn't pay it, he won't have protection for the Purge. Again, the system is working against him and working against a lot of people like him in these poor areas. And uh, so the Purge starts. And the announcement on the Purge changes a little bit. This time, they say that those requirements that level 10 and above are off limits are no longer in effect. Anyone it can take part in the purge tonight. And they're doing that specifically so that they can kill uh, Charlie Roan. And they almost do. And they get to this point where there's an insane assassination attempt. Frank Grillo kicks ass, I'm just going to say that. But a bunch of neo-Nazis, uh, they've got really cool, and again, Sadly, very, uh, very, um, what's the word? Timely for what's going on right now. These guys have got Confederate flags on their on their stuff. They got white power uh, stickers on the back of their jackets. Uh, crazy neo-Nazi tattoos, and uh, they are trying to kill her. And they're working for the uh, opposition. And so at this point, her story dovetails into Joe's story, where she ends up down there at the uh, shop. He, he runs, again, a grocery store or a grocer and uh, like a convenience store. And so they're there. And there's a couple of insane things in this movie. There's a girl who tries stealing a candy bar. And she is so rude to Joe. And she leaves. And I was like, man, you know what? You should have let her steal it because she comes back and uh, wreaks havoc on their store trying to break in. And she, sa she says one of the worst things I've ever heard somebody say. She says, well, she first says, I'm coming to get my candy bar. But she says, I killed my mom and dad tonight, and I'm going to kill you next. And I'm just thinking to myself, who would do that? And I mean, I guess if she's like a Veruca Salt type person where she is so mean to her parents that she would do that. But it's like, who's going to pay for all your stuff now? And I, I imagine insurance companies will not pay out 
on deaths that happened during the purge because unless of course you know you're paying an absorbent amount of money but anyway at this point they realize they're not safe there either they have to leave and so they are driving around in the city uh lena is laney she shows up and um takes them in their van and drives them around the city but they are being tracked by by actually a bullet that that uh frank grillo's character got shot with and so he eventually pulls the bullet out and gets out of there but by the end of it the really interesting twist here is they they meet the underground resistance that is being headed up now by dante uh dante's character and they find out that their plan is to assassinate the other guy and so in classic i uh, good versus evil fashion charlie is like no you can't do that like that is going to make him a martyr if you kill him then they're going to find someone else they're going to win the election because of this like i need to win fair and square what a powerful thing to have in that movie because the first thing i thought was well if if you're not the person doing the killing so charlie didn't kill the the guy some again some crazy you just say some crazy you could spin it some crazy person killed the the minister tonight if i was charlie i would say that is just one more reason why we do not need the purge anymore i feel like that would get her more votes but again hey she she believes in herself she believes in her ability to win and so eventually ends up saving this guy and uh by the end of it uh, a couple people die. Joe dies, unfortunately, saving them. He gets shot a couple of times. Uh, but then it fast forwards to two months later. She wins the election in a landslide. And uh, Frank Grillo's character is promoted to Secret Service, director of Secret Service. Uh, and then they renovate Joe's store, even though he passed away, and continue to run it in his memory. But then a new news report states that the founding fathers' supporters have staged violent uprisings across the country, protesting election results and the end of the annual purge nights. What a timely thing to see. And I'll say this to anyone who's listening, whatever side of the aisle you're on, I am very grateful that what I've seen so far in response to this election during the country is not this bad. I was very nervous that something like this would happen. And who knows? We've still got a lot of time. It's very possible if somebody loses that something's going to happen. But just to have this be the purge election year, and because they didn't win, they're staging violent uprisings in, in different areas. Crazy. And then the movie ends, and it's like, oh, man, I want more. Well, there is more. So guess what, guys? Uh, you've heard it here first, and maybe you haven't heard it here first, but there is an upcoming Purge movie. Uh, it's called The Forever Purge, and I will read to you what I've got on here just so for those of you who are chomping at the bit trying to get into this movie, I can give you as much as I can. Um, it looks like it's going to be directed by Everardo Gout, produced by Jason Blum, Michael Bay, James DeMonico, written by James DeMonico as well, so that's nice. And um, it was scheduled, crazy enough, filming took place in California in November of 2019 to February of 2020. So they filmed this movie um, uh, before COVID. And then uh, it says it was scheduled scheduled to be released on July 9th of next year. It was originally scheduled to be released in July of this year, but it got pushed because of the pandemic. And there was a really cool quote that um yeah really small quote but he said it would be a really cool the uh demonico said it would be a really cool 
ending to the series, that it would be the last movie. Um, oh, and interesting, it says, so it says in August of 2019, it was announced that the film would be directed by Everardo Gout, who was hired based on his work directing episodes of the 2016 National Geographic series Mars, uh, which is interesting. We got some some casting stuff, filming, and um, on November 10th and 11th, filming took place in downtown Pomona on a block of storefronts transformed into fictional businesses, including a tavern and a gun store. Uh, interesting. So maybe again, kind of the similar as last one, but my, my, uh, thing about this is, okay, what are they going to do now that the purge is over in election year? And so that makes me really excited to see what happens in this one. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's the purge. And that's why, again, just a fascinating discussion on different systems and how, um, again, taking out of the the equation whether something is right or wrong it's always interesting especially in film to watch a dystopian movie a movie where everything about our country is the exact same except for one thing and in this case it's the purge what would our country look like like that and like i said in each of these movies it uh there's a lot of bits of it that look like how our country is right now minus the fact that we have the purge but it's just interesting to see these movies that play on our our primal instincts primal fears i guess you could say uh and and they did really well so box office wise um per the first purge uh the the last one 2018 first purge was the highest grossing film of all of the purge movies and it uh i can give you actual numbers i think for all of these uh get down here to the list yep so the first purge oh man i'm just gonna say it this way we'll start from the beginning the purge uh the purge was a budget of three million and it made 89 million dollars worldwide 64 million of that in the u.s uh, so it did better in the U.S. Obviously, it's about it's about the U.S. Then the Purge Anarchy was made, but with nine million, so a little bit bigger budget. Uh, worldwide, made a hundred and eleven million dollars. So out outsold the Purge, and then Purge Election Year made even more than that on a ten million dollar budget, uh, one hundred and eighteen million dollars. And then the first Purge made a hundred and thirty six million dollars off of thirteen million budget. Uh, so again, you've got 400, and I love Wikipedia for this, is better than Box Office Mojo. You heard it here first. That's a call out directly to you, Box Office Mojo. Get your stuff together. Uh, Wikipedia says the budget for all of these movies, $35 million, with a return of $446 million. Now again, that's not taking into consideration advertising, marketing, all that stuff, but that is really impressive, and that is the hallmark of a classic uh, scary movie. And I, I don't know if I would necessarily... I would I would call these horror movies. I don't know if I'd call it like a. It's kind of scary, but like the 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 hallmark of those is it's a super low budget and it makes a ton of money. And it's really nice to see that it made almost twice as much overseas as Election Year, the last movie did, which was great. But um, unfortunately, we're not able to track our current election in this same exact way. So. Uh, what I will end with is remembering a couple of things. And again, for those of you who are anxious about this election, those of you who are worrying about this election, here are a couple of things. It really doesn't matter who wins. Obviously, you're going to want one candidate to win over the other, but America is still going to move forward one way or the other. Obviously, I know who I would rather want to win. A lot of you would, would want someone to win as well, but 
the, the wheels are going to keep spinning come tomorrow or come next week. Uh, a lot of the focus should have been around this Senate races. Uh, those That is where things could happen. And right now it looks like the Senate is going to stay the way that it is, Republican controlled. And if that is the case, if Biden wins the presidency, the, the only thing that would change is that Biden is now president. Anytime that he passes a bill, it's still going to go to the Senate. They're still going to block it. Anytime that he um, uh, nominates a Supreme Court justice, they're probably going to block it. And uh, so we'll see. But that's one piece of it. The other piece, again, is just remember that this is all part of the process. All of this vote counting, all of this taking extra long or longer than you would expect, that is all part of the process. And it will get figured out. It'll get figured out in the way that it is supposed to. And everything is going to happen exactly as it's supposed to. I trust in that. There are not a lot of things that I do trust, but I do trust in the fact that things will keep moving forward. Now, the one thing that should not change, though, is come when this is over, it is not going to change the way that people are being treated in this country. And that is the biggest takeaway from this. People of color are still going to be treated poorly. There are still going to be disparities between classes. There are still going to be problems that we need to come together and not only heal from, but fix. And that is where we need to uh, give our energy. When this election is over, we do not need to be resting. Obviously, take a day, take a week, take a weekend, whatever, but then come back and come back ready to fight for others. And I'm not actually saying to fight like in the purge. I'm saying to stand up for what is right and what helps the most people. Because again, if anything can be learned from these purge movies, it is that every life matters. And we shouldn't be having a system in place where uh, the rich are killing the poor. But there are a lot of things that are eerily like that in our country right now. And those are the things that we need to fight for. We need to fight for racial justice. We need to fight for equal rights. We need to fight for uh, class equality as well. We need to fight for good jobs for everyone, good health care for everyone. It's crazy to me. And again, I'm starting to tip my hand at at, uh, who, who I believe in, but... To me, uh, in a futuristic society, everyone is being taken care of. You wouldn't have to work anymore and you could just enjoy your life. Where right now, it seems like work is the most important thing for most people, keeping the economy going. And there are a lot of ways it seems like the government could be able to do that. But we will see. Hopefully, one of those ways is not enacting the purge. And with that, we will end this. So, for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Election Week and happy purge. (laughs) 